Welcome back to Locked On Bears. As always, I am your host, Lauren Cox from Pro Football Focus and USA Today's BearsWire.com, and I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears talk on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. It's Friday, so that means it is time to preview the next Chicago Bears game. Of course, this week is a key divisional matchup against the Green Bay Packers, the second game against the Green Bay Packers. And so, of course, I have to bring in a little bit of help here to help me break down the Bears' opponent. We'll touch on what Brett Hundley has been able to do this season successfully and maybe what has held this offense back in Green Bay. We'll touch on the running back position there and how they found success when they've been given the opportunity. And of course, we won't skimp on the Green Bay Packers defense going in-depth on what exactly Dom Capers asks of his unit and what they could potentially throw at Mitchell Trubisky. But without further ado, it's time to bring on a familiar guest here to the Lockdown Bears podcast. You might remember from the first time we had a Green Bay Packers preview, I got a little help from a friend of the show. So today I am once again joined by Peter Bukowski. He is the host of Locked On Packers here on the Locked On Podcast Network. He covers the NFL over at FanRag Sports, and he writes for SB Nation's Acme Packing Company, covering the Green Bay Packers. So as you might be able to tell, that is exactly why Peter is joining me today. Peter, we did it uh, for week four. Didn't necessarily go so well for my side of things, but looking forward to previewing this one, which might be a little bit more of a closer contest. How are you doing today? I'm good. You're you're right. Uh, it's going to look a lot different than it did that Thursday night. This this Packers Bears matchup for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which is both quarterbacks are going to be different. That sort of you know typically you think well when both teams back up quarterbacks are in the game it might be a negative for both sides but clearly the Bears are at least at that position potentially trending in the opposite direction with their young quarterback. Not that Mitchell Trubisky has necessarily lit up the world but at least. There is, in Chicago, more optimism about him than there is about Brett Hundley in Green Bay. But before we get more in-depth on Brett Hundley, Mm -hmm. I want to just touch briefly on Aaron Rodgers and sort of the impact of his injury because obviously— Do we have to? (laughs) Just just briefly because I don't know if Bears fans quite know what type of impact he has had in his absence because we know how great of a quarterback he is and we know— that he covers a lot of warts on this team. But has there been more of an impact, even like not necessarily off the field, but just from a moral standpoint of this team potentially giving up on the season or just not playing as hard because number 12 isn't under center? This is an interesting question, and I, I've thought about it myself. I don't know that it affected the Vikings game, the game where, where Rodgers broke his collarbone, and... It didn't seem to affect the team against New Orleans. They were winning that game at halftime. They were winning that game into the third quarter. Um, Brett Hundley's final line in that game did not reflect how how well I thought he played. Now that doesn't that's not to say that he played great, but um, there were a couple times in that game where New Orleans scored and Green Bay with Brett Hundley came right back down and scored, and you just thought it, you, you thought okay. 
this quarterback has something. This team is fighting, and they're playing hard. And in in the second half, the offense fell apart a little bit. There was a lot of conservative play calling and conservative scheming by Mike McCarthy. I felt like in the second half, he played not to lose rather than to win. And as a result, they went three and out a bunch. The defense was on the field a ton, and the defense just isn't good enough to account for that. Um, in a lot of ways, these teams have become similar now in that the quarterback is tasked with not losing the game, and that means the running game and the defense has to play well. Well, both teams have a very good running game. Only one of them has a good defense. And so that's sort of where we are at this point. I did feel like on Monday night, that was the first time where I was watching the game going, are they giving 100% effort? Are these receivers, like there were a couple plays where they ran some some bubble action and some some built-in modified receiver screens and stuff like that where the receivers weren't getting great blocks. And I, I'm just like, I don't know if this team is really fighting as hard as they could. And, you know, I, I think that also is one of the reasons why Martellus Bennett is no longer on this team. I think he decided that this was uh, played into his his retirement conversation. I think he he saw once Rodgers went down, this is not a Super Bowl contending team. And so why am I putting my body through this? I, I think that's in some ways a natural reaction to what's going on. As far as morale, look, I don't know. If they can't get up for Packers-Bears in a must-win game, I'm not saying that that means they're going to win. If they can't get up for it and give maximal effort, I think that speaks to the character of this team. It speaks to the coaching staff, and I think it says some, some, frankly, some ugly things about this team, if that is the case. Especially coming off of the bye week, going into that Lions yeah. game last week, I think that was the most shocking thing for me. It's not as though, that you know, like the first couple games after Rodgers goes down, it's like, okay, well, Mike McCarthy's kind of scrambling here. He's got a new quarterback. They're still trying to figure out what exactly Brett Hundley is and what they can do with him in the offense. But then they get week eight off to sort of take a step back, reevaluate this offense and this defense and try and clean things up, go into the second half of the season to at least maybe stay afloat or try and stay afloat until Rodgers potentially could, maybe not, but could come off of injury reserve late in the year, squeak in the playoffs and maybe try and pull something out. But then they just come out so flat against Detroit. Was that the most disappointing part to you? Like, would that game have been different in terms of an evaluation standpoint had that not been right after the bye? I think the fact that the Packers have been so successful after the bye is is part of why this is so disappointing. Um, seven and one in their last eight buys with three wins over the Lions in that span. Now, of course, the one factor that was present in all of those that was not present Monday night wears number twelve in green and yellow. But you you would have expected Mike McCarthy to adapt to the offense a little bit more to Brett Hundley, and I still. I still feel that way. I think McCarthy is is still attempting to understand how he can run this offense with his with his young quarterback. I've, I've pointed out on Twitter a couple times and in pieces that I've written for Acme Packing that that Brett Hundley is only ten months younger than Mitch Trubisky, even though he's this is year three for him in the NFL. Um, but it, it was disappointing because I just I thought McCarthy would be a good enough coach to adapt the offense for Brett Hundley. And I thought, frankly, he would be a good enough coach to get Hundley prepared to play. Um, Hundley, a lot of the flaws that plagued him at, at UCLA, he dropped, he would drop his eyes and feel phantom pressure. He would feel the blitz. He would bail clean pockets. 
and he would struggle to get through his progressions as a result. Those are still things that he's dealing with in year three, and they're things that we saw him in the preseason look better at over the last few years. So I don't I don't know if this is just the pressure is getting to him a little bit or or what, but I thought McCarthy would, would put Hunley in a better position. I thought Hunley would play better, frankly. And I don't want to say I thought Dom Capers would have a better plan for the, the Lions offense, but I thought Dom Capers would have a better plan for, for the Lions. Uh, and that's just because three or four games every year, the Packers defense looks awesome, even if it looks crappy the rest of the year. They have these moments where they galvanize, they come together, and they kick someone's ass. And, you know, if you're a Packers fan, you have to hope that that's still going to happen, that maybe it's this week against a rookie quarterback. That is Dom Capers' bread and butter um, because a lot of what he does is dealing in deception. And so – you know, Mitch Trubisky said today, in fact, that every every game um, that he's played in, the defense has done something unscouted, that they've given him a look he hadn't seen on tape. And I, I expect Dom Capers will do that a bunch in this game. He always has something dialed up every week that, that the other team hasn't seen. Now, whether or not it actually works is obviously a separate issue. But it, back to your original question, disappointing is the word that I would use for Monday night's game, full stop. It was disappointing. It was it, it was pathetic in a lot of ways. And so um, they they have to shake it off and, and play better on Sunday or this season could be over like now. And I know we are going to touch on this Packers defense a little bit later. I know you have some pretty well-educated and strong takes on what – Dom Capers can do, but I, I do think it's oh, important. Oh, I have takes. Oh, oh, yeah. But you also have some pretty strong and strong in, in, in a term of effectiveness, a strong opinions on Brett Hundley. And for those that don't follow you on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, right now Peter is kind of the, the Twitter's resident expert on Brett Hundley. He's been doing a lot of <laughs> breakdown pieces on what he's been through in these first couple games, maybe what Mike McCarthy has done for him, which we're going to touch on briefly here. But First, I just want to get a, a general picture here for my listeners that haven't watched UCLA tape of a fifth-round pick and haven't sure. really watched Green Bay Packers games this year with Brett Hundley in it. What can Brett Hundley do, and, and what can't he do as a quarterback right now? Well, how dare them for not watching uh, UCLA tape of Brett Hundley, but uh, no. <laughs> I hold um, him to a higher standard, usually. Yeah, exactly. So the the thing about him, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier— he he came out of a, an offensive system at UCLA that was as rudimentary as rudimentary gets. It was, um, you know, sort of a zone read in the running game, and then it was bubble screen and bubble goes and slants, and that's it. That's pretty much the whole UCLA offense. And so, getting through progressions was not something he was accustomed to doing. Getting to second and third reads, um, his feel in the pocket has never been particularly good. He likes to bail. Now he is. Um, an exceptional athlete, a four six forty athlete, six three two twenty. He can move, he can run. He scored a touchdown on a scramble against New Orleans. Um, oddly, the Packers have run the zone read twice with him. He's picked up first downs both times, and they haven't run the play again the rest of the game for reasons that that are not altogether clear to me. His first play as a collegian against Rice, he takes a zone read seventy yards to the house. So that's the kind of athlete. That we're talking about, and and similar athletically, I would say to Mitch Trubisky, um, they're very similar size-wise, and they tested very similarly at the combine. Um, now, in terms of his ability as a passer, his best throws are outside the numbers. 
he has excellent touch on the deep ball, the one to Devontae Adams. Um, I think Adams misjudged and sort of alligator-armed it. The one to Jordy Nelson, I think um, reasonable people agree, was pass interference on Darius Slay. And, um, or, or at least they were on a date and didn't tell anyone. And <laughs> there was some definite hug, hugging going on right there. Yes. They looked like they were very close. And, um, so that's where the comebacks out. That is where he thrives. And then, um, the in-breaking route that he is really good at throwing is the slant. What he is not great at doing is getting to the top of his drop, seeing a receiver covered and getting to the next throw. The other thing that he struggles with is he'll get to the top of his drop and he'll feel the pocket collapse a little bit at the top. And so the, the pocket, this is hard to explain without visuals, but um, if you think of the pocket as a car, okay, and the headlights are the line of scrimmage and the trunk is the back end of the pocket, Hunley will get to the top of his drop. He'll feel the trunk start to collapse a little bit. And rather than get into the driver's seat and make a throw, he'll bail out the trunk. And he'll try and escape the pocket and make a play on the run. He does not have great accuracy on the run, and he doesn't have great vision when he breaks the pocket. So this is this is a work in progress for the Packers in trying to find um, plays that that work to his strengths. Here's the thing that I that I have been saying and trumpeting and writing about and trying to get anyone who will listen to me. The best possessions Brett Hundley has had, the best drives he's had as a Packer have been spread drives. Four wides, empty backfield, or or four and a, and a running back. And what that does is it simplifies the reads defensively. It's much harder to disguise a defense when that's when that's the the coverage situation that you have to be in because you have to basically announce who's got who. Um, Gary Ellerson on a Milwaukee radio station calls it the cat defense. You've got that cat. You've got that cat. Oh, there you go. And so you can identify. Who has got who? Who is who is covering who? And it makes it harder to disguise what's going on, and it makes it harder to disguise who's coming on a blitz if there is one. And this is this is how most college offenses look. This is how some NFL offenses look: the Eagles and the Chiefs. Uh, no pun intended, Chief among them. And <laughs> they have done a great job of adapting their offenses. And so this is this is where Brett Hundley has has really thrived. He had a tremendous – I wrote about uh, one drive in particular for Acme Packing against the Saints. Um, drove the ball right down the field, and there was a good mix of run and pass. Hunley made some excellent throws and punctuated with the touchdown run. And in the in the two-minute, the second-best drill or the drive of the game against the Lions was the two-minute offense that they played um, at the end of the first half. And they drove the ball down and got a, a fire drill field goal off. So – um, th- that is where I think Packers need to go a little bit more. They need to play a little bit more up-tempo, a little bit more hurry-up, and a little bit more spread. I-, I think part of this is Mike McCarthy is is asking um, Brett Hundley to play in Aaron Rodgers' offense, and that's just not fair to Brett Hundley. Yeah, it seems like they have been putting a lot on his shoulders to try and maybe not necessarily fully cover up some of the issues that Rodgers was able to just – elevate the play of everyone else around him, but still asking Brett Hundley to maybe take on more responsibility than a fifth-round pick in his, what, second, third career starts as he's going along the season here. And I even look like in that Lions game, 
Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery had five carries each in the running game. I mean, what, why, why haven't they done more? And maybe you don't know the answer to this, but is, <laughs> is that part of the, the issues you have with the way McCarthy's handling this, you know, not establishing the running game more consistently when you have a guy like Aaron Jones who's in the middle of a little bit of a breakout here? Well, you know, the problem is in, in the Lions game, they're down 14 nothing in the first half. And they were down 20 to three and then, you know, it was 2010 and then all of a sudden now it's 27, 10 and 30 to 10. And you can't run the ball in those situations. It makes it very difficult when your defense can't get a stop. Now against the Saints, when it was a close game, um, they ran for, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they ran 180, 181. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say 180. They, they averaged, um, in the last two games, they're averaging over six yards a carry. And so the offense, I mean, even against the Lions, it was, uh, you know, I think it was 78 yards on 17 carries. That's a 4.6 per clip average. The running game has been working. And so the fact that they can't build a successful offense around a running game that's working is a little bit strange. And, and not just because the play action game isn't, isn't, um, connecting. I think part of the problem is they want to go play action and hit deep shots. And against Minnesota, for example, they, they went play action and hit some outs, some comebacks just sort of have put something in the mind of the defense. But you would think, you know, if, if you get two runs of four yards and it's third and two run or pass, you should be able to pick up a first down. And then that should open things up for you on offense to be able to throw on first down against heavy boxes. And so th- the failures of the passing game, I think are, are, um, or the reasons for them are myriad. I think they're partially coaching. I think they're partially, partially on, on Hunley and partially on, um, the receivers in the offensive line, although very much to a lesser degree in those cases, it's not so much that the running game hasn't been effective. It's been that the Packers haven't been able to stick with it. And they they have a Goldilocks problem, right? Where the Saints, they tried to run too much in the second half and they got too conservative and they were playing. I mean, they were playing some, some personnel that I haven't seen since the 90s with two tight ends, a halfback and a fullback. And it's just sort of like, how how can... How can you fool a defense doing stuff like that? How, you know, if, if there, there were times when New Orleans had 10 guys within three yards of the line of scrimmage and it's just like, okay, what are we doing here? And then against the Lions, they had to abandon it fully because the defense couldn't get a stop. So I, I don't, the running game is not the reason that the Packers offense isn't working. That's, that's pretty clear at this point. Yeah. You, it sounds a lot like a lot of the frustrations that Bears fans have had with their offensive coordinator two tight ends and a fullback mm-hmm. on the field. It happened a lot against Green Bay in that first game where the Packers had nine men in the box uh, on quite a few plays. Yeah. And the, the Bears, fortunately, in other games, they have had a defense that can keep them in the game enough to continue to do that. But obviously, against Green Bay in that game, turnovers from the offense and just better play from Aaron Rodgers certainly kind of took that out of the occasion mm-hmm. pretty quickly. You, you touched briefly on the offensive line there, and I wanted to move there because obviously first matchup – Packers were so banged up at offensive tackle. They had Lane Taylor, their left guard at left tackle, and they had, boy, I don't even remember, was it McCray at right tackle? One of their backup guards had to move out there. Now things are a little bit healthier. David Bakhtiari's back in at left tackle. That puts Lane Taylor back in at left guard. And I know um, the right right tackle, Brian Bulaga, just hurt his knee and is out for the season. But is this offensive line still largely improved from where they were there? And then... With that, does the Bears' pass rush stand any chance? Because I remember in that game, the Bears couldn't get after Aaron Rodgers consistently despite what the offensive line was seemingly not capable of doing in front of him. 
I guess where, where do you where's your confidence level in this Packers offensive line right now? Yeah, the funny thing about that that uh, Bears game, and I guess not funny if you're a Bears fan, was um, the Packers offense moved the ball effectively, um, starting four guards in a center at offensive line because um, they had uh, Ju- uh, Justin McCray, who is a guard playing right tackle, and he's going to be the right tackle against the Bears this week. They had Lane Taylor playing left tackle, and they had Lucas Patrick, who is the backup to the backup to the backup, playing left guard. And I think, what did the Bears have, one sack in that game? Um, so that was that was pretty incredible. I mean, I, I talked to Bob McGinn on Locked on Packers after that game, and I said, Bob, have you ever seen – I mean, this is a guy who's covered for Bears fans who don't know who Bob McGinn is. Legend. 30, yeah, 38 years, I think, on the Packers beat or something crazy like that. You know, longer than than most of you have been alive. He's been on the Packers beat. He said he'd never seen anything like that. So McCarthy hasn't gotten enough credit for the way that he's been able to scheme up some things um, to, to keep these problems from, from reoccurring. David Bakhtiari is back, as you said. Lane Taylor is back. And Lucas Patrick is a um, – excuse me, um, Justin McCray is a serviceable enough right tackle. Um, and so I, I, is it a big concern? I don't think any more than it would be on, on a regular week. Just because Hunley's issues with the pass rush are going to be what they are. So it almost doesn't matter how effective your pass rush is because it's going to make Brett Hunley a little bit jumpy. And I think almost by necessity what the Brian Bulaga injury is going to do is is force the Packers to, to go to some bootleg stuff, to move the pocket a little bit, and to be a little bit more creative and and give Hunley a chance so that he doesn't have to hit his back foot and make a decision one, two, three. Um, and, and sort of feel the rush and move in the pocket because he's just not that's just not where he's strong at this point. And so um, obviously I wrote about it today for for FanRag actually. Um, the, this this Bears defense is tremendous and has been. You know they were they were uh, a bottom three defense by DVOA three years ago and are a top ten defense today. So that's that's pretty incredible that kind of turnaround and Leonard Floyd obviously has a has a big role in that uh, Eddie Jackson has been incredible Adrian Amos has been great I I'm more concerned about about the Bears secondary than I am their pass rush in this game Yeah I kind of feel the same way that the Bears as much as much success as this Bears defense has had it hasn't always come as a result of a strong pass rush and I'm concerned that you know as much as Leonard Floyd finds ways to get to the quarterback when he plays the Green Bay Packers historically it's going to be a question of how well they can take advantage of Brett Hundley's maybe happy feet slash phantom pressure reaction as opposed to being able to contain him and not allowing them to beat him with their legs but I, I want to take that and flip it to the Packers defense here because they've had some trouble especially as of late getting a pass do we have to I know another one of these. Do we have to with the Packers? <laughs> Isn't this such a weird time for the Green Bay Packers? I mean, yeah, I got a text during the game that from a friend that was like, "Is this what it's like to cheer for a bad team?" Yeah, you're finally getting a taste in, in Green Bay <laughs> of what it's been like everywhere else, especially in Chicago since the 1980s. Really, I mean, in my lifetime, I haven't been alive for a non-Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers team, and so this is yeah somewhat therapeutic for me i mean not that it it really changed anything long term but it's just like okay this is you know growing up in wisconsin like this is 
now 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 you get to see what it's like on the other side of the coin. Even if it's just for a little bit, you know, next year Aaron Rodgers will be back, and then you know the Packers will be back to another twelve win season, yada yada. But at least it's sort of a a little taste of what the rest of the world looks like. But not not to get too off topic here, the, the Packers pass rush has had their own struggles this year, and I think oh, yeah. a lot of people were looking for them to get back on track against a Lions offensive line that isn't necessarily great. I mean, they've had some injuries at the offensive tackle position. Similarly, maybe a little bit stronger on the interior, but they really struggled to get after Matthew Stafford in that game. And I guess I'm, my, my question for you is, why has their pass rush been so poor? I mean, you still see Clay Matthews on, you know, Nick Perry. They just got Vince Beagle back from, you know, the rookie from Wisconsin, Kyler Fackrell in there as well. Why haven't they been able to consistently get after the passer this season? I wish I had an answer for you. <laughs> I don't. Because um, it's not a so, talent issue, it doesn't seem like. Well, yes and no. Okay, so Nick Perry is, is not healthy. He's been dealing with a hand. Um, I expected him to just eat Brian Mahalik alive, and he didn't. And Clay Matthews just isn't Clay Matthews anymore. I expect the Packers to to ask him to restructure his deal in the offseason. Um, they're gonna they're gonna pay him a boatload of money last year or next year uh, to to not be the kind of edge rusher that he's been in the prime of his career, and he's just not that guy anymore. They've actually been using him off the ball a little bit. They've been playing a little four three over. And having him, um, you know, play a little off the ball, which is which is interesting. They brought in Ahmad Brooks. He's been hurt, and so he's coming back this week. He practiced um, on on Wednesday, and so it looks like he's he could be on track to play this week. It's hard to know because he's dealing with the back injury, and those things are always uh, notoriously fickle. And Vince Beagle, I thought he played really well against the run. He did not get a ton of opportunities to rush the passer. I think ultimately he's going to take Kyler Fackrell's snaps, which is. God, it's a blessing for this defense because Fackrell has just been an absolute joke as a passer, basically as an as an outside linebacker, full stop. I mean, he lost contain on a number of plays. He's just not um, even a rotation player NFL outside linebacker. Uh, I, I don't think he would make the Bears roster, frankly. So um, that that could help. And I think Nick Perry getting all the way back healthy could help. I think... Um, playing Charles Leno could help, but who knows? So uh, we'll see. I, I am um, I'm not optimistic about the Packers' ability to get after the the Bears this week in terms of pass rush. I think the way that you handle most young quarterbacks is you rush for and play play coverage, and I think that's what the Packers are going to do. They haven't gotten home on a five or six man rush like since AJ Hawk was playing here like it seems I, I just <laughs> it just the blitzes I don't know if they're predictable or if um if if the Packers just lack the talent to do it I don't I don't know because I, I see I, I watch a lot of football Lauren and I see a lot of people get home on blitzes and the Packers don't and I just don't know why you have to wonder when you know like does a team just know when and where they're coming from I mean it's not as though you know, the Green Bay doesn't do a lot of, you know, like a lot of like crazy stuff, but they're still bringing guys. I mean, you know, like Morgan Burnett and HaHa Clinton Dix, they go after the passer, and obviously the outside linebackers do a lot too. And even Demarius Randall from the slot, they, they seem to bring guys, but they just don't get home after the quarterback. Do you think that's the biggest weakness on this Dom Capers defense right now, or is there something maybe larger that that feeds into? 
The biggest weakness of this Dom Capers defense is Dom Capers. Hmm. They, Paul Noonan wrote a really good piece for Acme Packing Company earlier in the week that Dom Capers is playing defense or calling a defense for an NFL that doesn't exist. And I thought it was just a really smart way of looking at it because I'm going, as I'm watching this, there was a, there was a play in particular that I can think of. Um, I'm watching the all 22 of the Saints game and they played a trap coverage against Drew Brees. And I'm watching it going, why are you trying to trick Drew Brees? You're not going to trick Drew Brees. And what, what the Packers defense is predicated on is creating turnovers, getting sacks, and making teams drive the length of the field. Okay, well, over the last few years, teams have understood the risk-reward of throwing deep and have become much more dink-and-dunk offenses, the Bears chief among them. Um, and so teams are content saying we're going to go 10, 12, 14 plays because we're going to make easy throws. We're going to hit slants and hitches. And, and if you're going to play zone, we're going to get our five, eight and 10 yard passes and hope that one of them turns into a 28 yard pass. And inevitably one does. And so the kind of defense that the Packers want to play, they get, they play, they play the defense they want to play. They execute their schemes and it doesn't matter because those schemes are just not suited to stop defenses or excuse me, NFL offenses the way that that teams play offense now. Now there are still some teams that like to take shots downfield and they hit shots downfield. But like in that Saints game, Drew Brees threw two picks on on throws down the field into coverage and they were bad decisions. They were just for especially for a Hall of Famer, they're just like head scratching decisions. And the rest of the game Drew Brees threw short, he threw screens, he threw to Alvin Kamara, he threw to Michael Thomas for 10 here, and and Ted Ginn for 12 there, and Alvin Kamara for a screen that turns into 18 because Kamara is special with the ball in his hands. Like That's the way teams play offenses, offense now. And this defense just doesn't – it doesn't fit what's going on in the NFL today. Ben Fennell, um, who I recommend um, people follow, did a breakdown of some film, and – it just like it doesn't make sense. They try to get too creative with coverage and they end up blowing coverages. There is an inherent disconnect, and I'm I'm sorry that I'm going long on this. Oh no worries. It's there, gold. There is an inherent disconnect between the way Ted Thompson builds a team and the way Dom Capers wants to call a defense. Capers requires intricate, intimate knowledge of scheme and opposing offenses. And Ted Thompson wants young, athletic, and he wants roster turnover. He wants competition. He wants everyone to be afraid for their job at all times because they could drop someone tomorrow. I mean, the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round when Brett Favre was on the team, for crying out loud. They will replace you if you don't play well. And so they're consistently one of the youngest teams in the league. They're consistently one of the youngest defenses in the league. And although that's that's found them some really good players like Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark and Nick Perry and Blake Martinez and HaHa Clinton-Dix and Morgan Burnett, like... The individual talent is there. The problem is the scheme and has been it has been for a couple years now. The, the, the personnel was bad in 2012, 2013. It started to get a little bit better and has been better the last few years. And the scheme has just been a nightmare. And it sounds similar here, not in terms of practice, but in terms of philosophy, sort of to what happened to Lovey Smith 
especially going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, mm-hmm. trying to run that defense mm-hmm. uh, of giving other teams the the short game, and it just doesn't work anymore. And you kind of see how a Rod Marinelli goes to Dallas, and he kind of started doing that, you know, fresh out of the Lovey Smith defense. But now the Dallas Cowboys defense that you see now is very different than the, the Dallas Cowboys defense that it once was. They, they do a lot more, you know, single high safety and bringing pressure from other places and not allowing defense or not allowing offenses to simply get what the defense wants them to. I mean, the defense has to sort of establish itself, be physical, and not just let the offense move up and down the field. There's there's that. I mean, as much as you want to try and bait them into the mistake. You do have to adapt to a changing NFL here. And the Bears did, by the way. Yeah. Oh, they did. Even, even late in Lovey Smith's career, he went to some more man coverage because it just became obvious that Tampa 2 is, is not something you can play down to down because teams can, can, for those watching Monday night, they can hit the turkey hole too many times. <laughs> I'd never heard turkey hole for that. It's always just it's, the cover it's made up. Hole. No, that's a yeah. that's a made up. That's a made up. That's Grudenism. Yeah, yeah, that's Gruden being Gruden. But yeah, but I mean, at least with Capers, and maybe this is almost insult to injury. You know, he pr- he brings out this nitro package this year. We talked about it. Oh, back in I love it. Four. I love the nitro package. And like that's that's it's like see he's he's innovating. He is experimenting and maybe doing new things that other teams aren't. And I guess my question for you is, is that working? And actually, before you answer, I want to remind my listeners who might not remember, the Nitro package, the Packers play sort of their nickel coverage or their nickel package, but instead of having two inside linebackers, they bring in Josh Jones, the safety, and have him play in the box like a linebacker to sort of give them that extra speed, but also keep a guy in the box who can cover and step up against the run. So is that still working for them? Yes. That's the thing. Yes, it works when they, when they utilize it the right way. And I wrote about this for, for Acme Packing Company, uh, two weeks ago now. You are, you are mitigating your own advantage by having all these athletes on the field. You drafted Demarius Randall, who's a 4-4 guy. You, you signed Devon House back, who's a 4-4 guy. You drafted Kevin King, who's a 4-4 guy. You drafted Josh Jones, who's a 4-4 guy. Blake Martinez runs 4-6. You drafted these athletes, and obviously there's more more than one measure of athleticism. The 40 is not everything. But you drafted and you brought in these athletes, and now they're playing this soft, weird, hybrid zone garbage. So when Josh Jones is asked to play man coverage against tight ends and running backs, he's been awesome. When he's asked to play zone, he's looked like a rookie. Isn't that weird how that works? When Kevin King has been allowed to play press man, he's looked great. When he's had to play zone and he's had to think and read and react, he's looked like a rookie corner. Demarius Randall is a guy who wants to play man coverage. Devon House left the Jaguars so that he could play man coverage. And they're, they're just not being allowed to do that. And I, I don't understand why. Now, let me say something that might hurt your feelings, okay? Uh-oh. What happens at the end of the year and the Bears are 6 and 10, let's say. Is that a reasonable assumption for I know where you're season? going with this and I it scares me a lot. But like 6 and 10 is reasonable, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, that's 7 and 9 is probably like a best case scenario. There are 3 and 5 now, so if we extrapolate, that's 6 and 10, guys. That's math. Let's, you know, don't hop in my mentions over this. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. The playoffs and are still in reach. To, they are to some no, people. well, they, they, no, um, not, not so much. 
But so John Fox loses his job at the end of the year. You're still with me, I think. I don't like this. I know where this is going. And they bring in a new, they bring in, you know, let's say they bring in the offensive coordinator for the, for the Chiefs. This is great. He's a fun, creative, uh, play caller and play designer. And Mitch Trubisky is going to get all these toys. And Tariq Cohen is going to play the, the Tariq Hill, uh, you know, sort of weapon role. And it's going to be awesome, right? It's going to be awesome. But now Vic Fangio needs a job. And where could he go? And hmm. and what team nearby plays a three four and Mike could need a defensive coordinator at the end of the year? This is this is like a best case scenario for me if you're the Packers. But I see it though, you know, like Fangio is unhappy in Chicago. He he wanted to leave last year, wasn't allowed to. His contract's running up. Even if John Fox stays, he's probably gone anyway because he he's been reportedly multiple times unhappy. So what a better way. To maybe get back at this team and, and maybe this coaching staff, especially if John Fox is still in, to go up north to the team with the best quarterback in the NFL and a defense loaded with young talent that just hasn't necessarily been used properly with a defensive coordinator that isn't afraid to let his cornerbacks get up at the line of scrimmage and be physical. Yeah. I, I, it make, I, I, it was something that I realized today. I was like, okay, because I was having this conversation with Danny Kelly at the ringer um, because Seahawks fans want a new Offensive coordinator. They have been wanting to fire Daryl Bevel since like as long as the Packers have wanted to fire Dom Capers and or at least the Packers fans. And we were both saying, well, who are the up and coming coordinators? Who are the guys that are that are going to come in and, and take these jobs? Who's the next Kyle Shanahan? Who's the next Sean McVay in terms of these hot offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator names? And the answer is there aren't any right yeah. now. I mean, there's there's. Maybe one or two. I mean, I think Josh McDaniels is going to get a head coaching job. and But all the other guys got head coaching jobs last year. And so that's going to leave some retread coaches out there. I think Jim Schwartz could get a head coaching job. Um, I think John Fox, if he gets fired in Chicago, he could also uh, have a defensive coordinator job somewhere if he wanted it. Um, but I, the, the thing that makes the most sense, and, and Fangio has faced Rodgers a lot. He knows the value of a quarterback. He's getting up there a little bit in age. I think he's in his late 50s now. And so he, you know, he could want to compete for a Super Bowl title. And, and what better place to do that than on a team with Aaron Rodgers? And that just scares me so much because Fangio, he has that track record of being able to go somewhere. And you know, even if it's not, I mean, as much as some people want to give John Fox some credit here, I mean, he built that San Francisco 49ers defense, albeit it had some talent yeah. already. But he finds these guys in the secondary and, and obviously can turn that around and gets a pass rush going with strong front sevens. I mean, that would be absolutely perfect for Green Bay. And certainly from a Chicago perspective, that's scary. It's very scary. But if you get Josh McDaniels, I think it's a fair trade. See, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about Josh McDaniels yet, just because I think I need to – like I would need to speak with him and really feel like he has learned from Denver. Because last time he came to a team with a young quarterback already on it that he didn't necessarily get to handpick, it didn't go so well. So I'm not really confident just, you know, without really knowing. Does does he really, did he really learn? I mean, as much as we, there was like that SI article that was like profiling him and we get this good PR about Josh McDaniels. But until he's put into that situation and there's adversity and his rookie or his young quarterback maybe is making mistakes and he's got outside pressure and this GM, you know, is, is trying to get him to do different things. 
has he really changed or is he still Josh McDaniels? That's that just scares me a little bit about him. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna save you for a second. I think he's gonna go to Indianapolis. Really, you think so? Yeah. I think he's going to coach Andrew Luck, and that team is going to be really good because they're going to fire Chuck Pagano, and that's going to be the most appealing job available this summer. Do you think? What about Jim Harbaugh? You know, I've, I you know I feel like Harbaugh's got his eyes on Indy or Chicago if he's if he's ready to leave Michigan. I think Chicago makes more sense. But Andrew's his quarterback. You know, I mean, like that's I, true. All the talk has been that like there have been reports that like from Jack Harbaugh, his dad, saying that Jim's dream job is to coach the Chicago Bears, and it's just a matter of whether the Bears actually would take him because there's also been some talk that when they were originally hiring Mark Tressman and Jim Harbaugh was available, they chose not to interview him because they didn't want that type of personality at the head coach position. They didn't want someone so, I guess, electric. Different general manager. That's true. That's very true. So we'll, we'll see... We'll see what that brings, but I want to I want to steer us back to the Packers Bears game here. I know yeah, we. Sorry, <laughs> it, it, I love talking football, and I think Bears fans are plenty interested in John Fox's future or lack thereof in Chicago. The the roars for firing John Fox have been very loud and will continue to be unless something drastic happens this season. But it all comes back to this Green Bay Packers game, and certainly if the Bears lose this game to the Packers when they're favored for the first time in forever in the betting line and the Bears are favored over the Packers it's sort of a it's a must win just from a, a an outside perspective from a, a by six not just favored favored by a touchdown almost yeah I mean that's that is from a perception standpoint the Bears absolutely have to win this game and so I know you maybe are a little bit more confident in the Packers this week than people on the outside but what, what is your general feeling for how this game is going to go? And maybe give me a score prediction as well. I'm more confident than Vegas is. I'll say that. Um, I, I, th- there is a lot of skies falling in Green Bay circles on Packers Twitter. And even in the media, there was an article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that this was the worst offense in football. And I was like, do they know that the Browns are still in the league? And like <laughs> Tom, Tom Savage is still employed. But... Uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the weird thing is in the, in the two games that Brett Hundley has started, the Packers have scored 17 points and the Bears season average for scoring is what? Right around there. 17 right around, points. right around 17 points. And so I think this, this game is, is going to be, I think it's like 17 14 final. And I haven't decided who has 17 yet. <laughs> I need to yeah. see who's. I need to see who's healthy. If Ahmad Brooks is healthy, um, if if um, you know the if the if the guys that need to come back healthy are healthy, and Morgan Burnett's not going to play. Brian Balaga obviously out for the year. If if the the news Lucas um, Justin McRae, sorry. Um, if he his he's dealing with an ankle injury, but it, it, apparently he's good to go. If he gets the all clear sort of by Friday, I'll feel a lot better about about taking Green Bay in this game. Um, but I think seventeen to fourteen is the is the score. Well, and the Bears have some injuries of their own. They're trying to figure out here. Danny Trevathan and Deion Sims missed practice already, and I think Kyle Long has been limited with his recurring ankle issues. So definitely going to play a factor in this game, but. Man, I I have picked against the Bears in many games this season, and I've been wrong a few times. <laughs> and so the one time I get a chance where I actually feel like 
the Chicago Bears are right now the better team, at least playing like the better team. It's not going to be pretty. Like you said, I agree that 17-14 feels about right. You know, the Bears don't drive downfield and score touchdowns all that often, but I feel like you know, they're adding Dontrell Inman back to the offense from the trade, and Marcus Wheaton might be back. They're trying to do maybe come out doing a little bit more passing than they've been able to do in weeks past, putting a little bit more on Trubisky for better and for worse. I, I, I feel like, yeah, I kind of keep coming back to, to 14-17, maybe, maybe 2017, but I'm going to give the Bears the three-point win in, in the prediction there. But I'm right with you that this is going to be close and maybe not in as fun of a way as a, a typical close Bears-Packers game could be. You know, I yeah. think we'll see a, a punting duel for much of the first half. But one way or another, I think the Bears' defense is going to be the difference maker in this game. That, that, you know, the Bears' offense might not light up the Packers' defense, even though there's potential there. But I think largely Brett Hundley will be held down. Maybe a, maybe a turnover from him and maybe a fumble from somebody unexpectedly gets this defense going a little bit again. And the Bears offense is able to keep up and at least stay afloat and put the Bears just enough over the top to get a, a key divisional win here heading into the second half of the season. And and that kind of leaves a, a weird feeling for Bears Packers. <laughs> you know, just this is just it's going to be a yeah. weird game no matter what. Well, what's the, the best unit on the field is probably the Bears running game, right? For the most part, if, yeah. If we just like if you if you stacked each facet of of each team's game, the Bears' running game is probably number one, and number two is probably the Bears' defense. So, given that, um, it's hard to pick against the Bears. I think that's that's sort of where I am. But at the same time, um, I, I I will I'm not going to say I will never pick a rookie quarterback against Dom Capers, but. Unless it's Andrew Luck, I'm, I'm, I struggle to pick a rookie quarterback against Dom Capers. The Bears, the Bears have won games where where Mitch Trubisky has attempted seven and and twelve, I think, or seven and sixteen passes, and I don't think they can beat this Packers team doing that. I just don't think they're going to be able to run the ball well enough to do that. Mitch Trubisky is going to have to win this game, at, as you said, for better and for worse. Well, for better and for worse. You have been an excellent podcast guest once again, <laughs> Peter Bukowski at Twitter, on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can read his work at FanRag Sports covering the NFL and the Acme Packing Company, part of SB Nation. And you can listen to his beautiful voice every week on the Locked On Packers podcast. Peter, it has been a blast. I think I took more of your time than I meant to, but it was fun as always and very informative. I appreciate it. Anytime, Lauren. 